Hello, everybody, and welcome to the inaugural broadcast with our Wisconsin Soybean Marketing Board. It's all about trying to help you better understand how your checkoff dollars are being spent, some of the efforts in state and beyond our borders that are being put in place to make sure that there's markets ready for you and your soybeans, and maybe more importantly, so that today's consumers and uh, um, agribusiness providers understand the complexity that is Wisconsin agriculture, Wisconsin soybean production. It's a lot more than just putting seed in the ground. Happy to welcome in for this very first edition our friend Jonathan Gibb. Jonathan Gibbs is a uh, grower himself by Fox Lake, Wisconsin. He's also the secretary treasurer of the Wisconsin Soybean Marketing Board. He's going to help us better understand some of the goals of the soybean checkoff, like I said, in-state and beyond. Jonathan, thanks for stepping in. First, let's uh, give people a little bit of an update on who Jonathan Gibbs is. Tell us a little bit about where your farm is, how long you've been in the game, and a little bit about how you grow. So we farm about 1,200 acres between uh, Fox Lake and Beaverdam in the south-central part of Wisconsin. Uh, growing up, we were your classic Wisconsin dairy farm. We milked about 130 registered Holsteins and cropped enough acres to feed those animals and replace my animals, along with doing some cash cropping. As our farm evolved, uh, my dad and uncle, they farmed together for 41 years. My dad took care of a lot of the uh, herd management. My uncle did a lot of the cropping management along with the bookkeeping. And as we grew our farm, uh, we decided to grow our land base a little more than we did our dairy herd which I benefit from as the next generation. Um, but growing up was dairy farm, uh, along with uh, cash crops, corn, soybeans, canning, canning crops, and that's kind of where we've developed our farm since then. Cows still around? We raise some beef cows. We, uh, the milk cows left about 10 years ago when my dad and uncle decided to slow down. They were getting to that age. The facilities were pretty much worn out and decided it was time for the next generation to take over. So we brought in, we buy some weaned bull calves, Holstein bull calves, and raise those up for uh, fast steers. We also bought some beef cattle, um, some mama beef cows that we breed and use the calves for 4-H projects for my kids. Excellent, excellent. Now, you mentioned you've got 1,200 crop acres thereabouts. Now, give people a little perspective on what you grow on any given year, because that's part of the message we want people to understand, is it's not just corn and just soybeans. You are very conscientious about rotation. Yep. One of the things we found out, um, we grow about half our acres going to corn crop, whether that's field corn or we do grow a little sweet corn. Uh, for local canning factories. We also grow about 400 acres of soybeans, and that's spread out. In the past, we've done some seed soybeans. We do some regular commercial soybean production. That output goes to just a local elevator. We also um, take part in the state's food-grade soybean market, uh, non-GMO IP, identity preserved bean, that uh, gets used for export to most of it heads to Asia for a food-grade market. Obviously, with that thought in mind, then, uh, when we talk about sustainability and having that consumer understand how a product is produced, that's a conversation that you must have been linked in pretty early on and not just as a member of the Wisconsin Soybean Marketing Board. Correct. I mean, as far as our, whether it was seed or IP beans, we've been doing that for probably 25 years. Um, the importance of keeping those products separate, uh, especially when the GMO beans came into existence in the mid-90s having to clean equipment out, whether it's planters, combines, so on and so forth. Keep track of where a crop is produced. Um, so when we do make those crop care applications, whether it's herbicide or whatnot else, 
we're doing it on the appropriate field at the appropriate time. Mm-hmm. How has that market changed or evolved, Jonathan? Uh, one thing that we're trying to help consumers understand and other producers for that matter, details matter today. When you're visiting with people, be it in Washington, D.C., Madison at the state capitol, or other growers from across the countryside, details matter. It's not just about keeping track of where beans were grown. It's about the practices that those beans were grown in, too. Correct. And I mean, as we've seen, you know, the flow of information increase with the Internet and so on and so forth, um, people have become a lot more interested in how their food is produced. And, you know, they might not always understand it, but they certainly have a lot of good questions. They're looking for a lot of information. And it's allowed us to tell our story of what we do and why we do it and maybe clear up some misconceptions on the practices of what we do do and what benefits come from those practices or the challenges we face, you know, implementing those practices. One of the struggles that I battle with on the action or the topic of sustainability is it's a, it's a catchphrase today, but most of the growers, including yourself that I deal with, have been using sustainable practices their entire career. Help people better understand some of the traditional practices that you've had in place that help that message of sustainability. We started with one being crop rotation. Well, I think when we start with sustainability, it's I think it's been around for a long time. We never realized it. But in order to understand it, I think we need to start with, I guess, what we look at the definition of it or what I look at the definition of it. And I kind of go back to, you know, probably a three or four-legged stool and those three legs being um, one, there's a financial portion of the sustainability. As a, as a family farm, as a business, if I can't make a profit, I can't stay in business, and I'm not going to be there. Um, we also look at the environmental part, and I think that's where everybody initially goes on sustainability, is what are we doing for the environment, what are we doing for the soil, the water, the air, the wildlife, so on and so forth. But that third leg of the stool is you know, this, the social aspect of it. What am I doing for my neighbors? What, you know, what, what I do, how does that affect, you know, people downstream, not just water, but, you know, the consumer and so on and so forth. And when we, you know, when I look at that three, three legged stools of sustainability, it's all got a balance. It's not fun sitting on a stool where one leg is a lot shorter than the other. One is a lot taller, so on and so forth. And when we remove that one leg, now I don't have a stool that balances. So, you know, obviously I, you know, as farming, I, I look at the financial part of it a lot. You know, I look at the environmental part of it. I mean, we've, you know, classically, we've no-tilled our soybeans in for years. Um, even when we were dairy operation, we were dealing with our manure. You know, our manure went on our corn ground where we could best utilize the nitrogen in that manure, along with, the, you know, the phosphorus and the potassium and sulfur in that manure. Um and then, you know, we did a lot of our tillage at that time when we did, you know, a lot of tillage, we did it in the corn ground. You know, the soybeans we were able to no-till in the corn stalks and so on and so forth. Those are the kinds of things that people sometimes uh, see happening, but they don't understand how it impresses our soil. And like you said, the sustainability in the neighborhood is pretty good uh, observation, too. You mentioned at the outset that you like to have some uh, beef calves around so that your kids can get involved in the county fair, so on. Help people understand, you know, we are we are a social bunch in agriculture. We we like to be able to assist our neighbors and be a part of them. How many of your neighbors even ask you questions anymore these days, Jonathan, with sustainability now one of those catchphrases? 
Well, it's amazing the amount of people that you see at church that do ask questions and see what you're doing um, throughout the week, you know, as they drive by. I mean, we live on a fairly um, heavily traveled road and, you know, farm on some, you know, just north of Beaver Dam, some heavily traveled areas where people drive or ride their bicycles or whatnot else. And, you know, they're always watching, but it's nice that they do ask questions on what you're doing or when we first started using cover crops in our rotation, you know, it was a question, well, are you putting strawberries out there? Are you getting into strawberries? No, I'm not getting into strawberries. You know, we, we had a canning crop of peas out there. It was too late to put a double crop of soybeans in. So instead of going out and spraying the weeds or tilling the weeds, we instead of, you know, put two bushels of barley in that was going to outcompete the weeds, and we just let that grow throughout the rest of the year. Uh, Mother Nature took care of the barley over the winter, and you know we were able to plant into that in the spring next year when you know we put the corn crop in the ground. Mm -hmm. um, but it was something new; it's something they hadn't seen, and you know, so it, it was nice to get the questions as far as what you were doing versus you know the misconceptions or they just passed judgment and so on and so forth. If you're just joining us, that's Jonathan Gibbs. He's in studio with us on this inaugural edition of the Wisconsin Soy Pod Update. And we're helping you better understand some of the practices that farmers are routinely using on their ground that uh, may fall under that phrase sustainability and helping you explain where your checkoff dollars are being invested for the sustainable message and technology and traits beyond that. Jonathan, let's talk a little bit more about the Wisconsin Soybean Marketing Board. When did you get involved with the Soybean Marketing Board per se? And one thing I always like to try to point out is your perception before or when you initially got started versus the reality of what you see happening today. Tell me a little bit about your involvement with the Soybean Marketing Board. So prior to coming home from the farm, I had worked off the farm for 13 years after college. And when I came home, I was looking for a way to still be active with my peers in the industry and so on and so forth, um, maybe even as a forced way to get off the farm and network with people. And the state checkoff, soybean checkoff, was one opportunity that was presented to myself. Um, in 2013, I applied for a national checkoff program called See for Yourself, and that was, we went on a tour, um, actually internationally, of different soybean customers of U.S. soy. And one thing that really struck a chord to me at that time is we spent so much time focusing on growing soybeans and growing, you know, high-yield crops that if we don't have a place to go with them once they leave our farm, um, I think we're really missing our purpose. And through the national checkoff, I got to see where, you know, our soybeans went and what was important to our customers and so on and so forth. And there became an opportunity to become involved with the state checkoff, the Wisconsin Soybean Marketing Board, and that happened in 2013. So we have uh, seven districts throughout the state, the district I'm in, um, election was in 2013 at the time. It's a three-year term. So I was elected to represent that district on the State Soybean Marketing Board. Right. And today, Jonathan serves as Secretary-Treasurer of the Wisconsin Soybean Marketing Board. You know, you mentioned that international experience. Even at that time, 2013, Jonathan, was the phrase sustainability or conversations about sustainability. Was that already a part of the lexicon? Oh, for sure. I think, um, you know, I'm afraid some days we're losing sustainability as the buzzword. It's moving on to something else, but the principles still hold true today. And I, I think we've been talking about sustainability forever. I, I guess it's just how we decide to term it. Um, but yeah, back, back then we were talking about, um, you know, our rivers, our waters, uh, 
you know, keeping keeping those clean, making sure the soil that is on our farm stays on our farm. Mm-hmm. We don't send that downstream. But uh, it was really amazing what, you know, the international customers, we were coming off a drought year in 2012. So one, they were really concerned, are soybeans going to be available? What was the weather like? What was the growing condition like that year in 2013? But they're also concerned on how we're growing our soybeans. You know, the other thing that people sometimes don't realize, but your eyes can be opened when you have those international experiences, the diversity of the products that our soybeans are being used for. You are walking both sides of that aisle, food-grade soybeans that go into food components, and then the traditional commodity soybean that can end up halfway around the world. Give people a little perspective on how many different products our soybeans can end up in, and that's thanks in large part to Checkoff Dollar Investments. Well, our biggest consumer of soybeans is our livestock feed industry to start with. I mean, when the soybean leaves the farm, if it's a commodity soybean, most likely either it's going to go to what we would call a soybean crush plant. The output of that is going to be soybean oil or soybean meal. Now, soybean oil is either going to go to the food-grade industry, you know, your fryer oil at McDonald's or so on and so forth, if soybean oil is used in a product to, you know, to make that. Or uh, lately what you've heard is either biodiesel or renewable diesel we're taking that um, soybean oil output, and it's going to fuel our uh, diesel trucks or ships, trains, you know, so on and so forth, even our tractors throughout um, the country. Food-wise, too, you know, I, I'm uh, always impressed when I find out how many of our soybeans are channeled through poultry, and if you get overseas, fish. Yeah, that's, that's one thing we were able to see in Columbia. We went to their largest freshwater lake where they had a trout farm. And we, we were able to see they were using a uh, high soy protein concentrate to feed the fish instead of their, you know, normal fish meal. And they, they really liked that product because uh, you didn't have to harvest the fish out of the ocean and create the meal. It was something they were able to bring in, um, you know, and feed. Yeah. Trust the quality, know the source. All of that helps make it better, especially if it's a food-related type fish. Again, Jonathan Gibbs in studio with us. We're talking about how soybean checkoff dollars are being channeled uh, from our Wisconsin farms into research, development, international marketing opportunities. Let's talk a little bit about uh, research development right here in state, Jonathan. We are really blessed I believe, in Wisconsin to have what I'll call the premier soybean research team. It's taken a while to put them all together, but I'm talking about people like uh, Dr. Damon Smith, our plant pathologist, uh, Dr. Rodrigo Worley, a weed specialist. We've got uh, Dr. Sean Conley, our extension soybean specialist. They collaborate really well, but they can't really get their wheels going without farmers like you and the Wisconsin Soybean Marketing Board. It's entirely correct. I know talking with Sean Conley, Dr. Sean Conley, in the past, he's mentioned that probably 80% of his program is funded by a checkoff dollar, whether it comes from the Soybean Marketing Board in state or United Soybean Board, which would be the arm of the national checkoff for soybeans. Also, the Marketing Board is a member of the NCSRP, the North Central Soybean Research um, Program. And what that is, is I think it's about 13 or 14 states that have um, teamed up together to do more regional research where it might be a project that's bigger than what one state can undertake and USB, it might not fit into the USB's uh, strategic plan at that time, but each of the states get together and we find it, you know, that it's something that we want to look at as something we find very valuable 
to look at. And it also forces the different researchers from the different states and universities to work together and collaborate. And we get a lot of good output um, through those investments. You know, and that, those investments also ultimately pay dividends back at the farm because a lot of what Dr. Conley, Dr. Smith, Dr. Worley are doing are trying to help you have effective ways to continue sustainably producing soybeans. Are there any projects that you can cite on your farm, maybe, Jonathan, that are a direct result of some of those soybean checkoff dollars that were invested in the research that those three are involved in? I mean, when I look at research that we fund and, you know, how it affects my farm, I, mean, I look at we, we've got some that we're funding long-term research through the checkoff. One example might be white mold. I mean, it's been in the state. I remember growing up as, you know, a kid riding the combine and, you saw those little rat turds in the soybean sample. You didn't know what they were. Well, that's the sclerotia. That's the fruiting body of the white mold that goes back in the soil. We've been researching that, and we've been studying that forever, and I think we'll probably be researching and studying it forever too. But through that research, we're learning more and more about that. I mean, we've got some long-term research that you know keeps investigating and studying how, it's, how white mold develops, you know, what environments, so on and so forth. But we've also been able to get what I would call some of that instant gratification research where we have an output right away. One of that, you know, is Damon's, Dr. Damon Smith's sporecaster where, you know, he's learning the life cycle of white mold and how it reacts to different environments. And we have a little better prediction on if the environment's going to be right and the weather's right and so on and so forth. If we need to apply a fungicide and when to apply that and, you know, how best to make that work into our cropping system, along with, you know, not the spore just the sporecaster, but we're we're looking at planting green. And if you don't know what planting green is, if you plant like a cover crop that overwinters, that's going to green up the next spring. One classic example in our northern climate is going to be cereal rye. Well, how does cereal rye affect um, the white mold cycle? Well, if we can leave that rye grow, we can plant green into that, eventually spray it off, terminate it. Uh, we might disrupt that what you would call a disease triangle, where, yeah, you have the crop, you have the environment, but the, that rye being there might disrupt the disease, and now you get a what, what I would call a more natural uh, deterrent of the white mold. Boy, and that is a financial uh, tax on a lot of our Wisconsin farmers if they're not paying attention or looking at that technology. It doesn't end there. Talking about sustainability is making sure that we are very calculated on every move we make on the farm. Part of that is the financial leg of that stool you were talking about. You don't want to waste money. You don't want to waste resources. We are getting so much better with precision agriculture. And I know that Dr. Conley, uh, I think it was two years ago, launched a campaign to try to get farmers to collaborate with him and literally write a prescription for your farm. That's another checkoff investment. Sure. Dr. Conley's been, he's been doing great in putting together a database of you know, what we've done on farm fields in the state of Wisconsin, how we've grown the soybeans, you know, to create a predictive model. And then now he's incorporating um, AI, artificial intelligence, into that, to, you know, depending on the soil type we're at, you know, or latitude, longitude, the varieties we grow, so on and so forth. He, you know, he's working on creating a predictive model of how we can farm that field to achieve the best outcome, whether it be yield and profit and so on and so forth, then maybe we don't have to have a fungicide application on that field or 
or maybe, you know, if our, our planting date's a little different than what we ideally want, you know, is there something else we can change in our, our cropping system to help, you know, help yield at, on that year? You know, we talked about collaboration, obviously, Damon, Sean, Rodrigo, they all collaborate. You as a grower collaborate too. One of the benefits of being on the Wisconsin Soybean Marketing Board, like you said, is you're forced to get off and come to a meeting now and then, getting together at Wisconsin Corn Soy Expo, maybe Commodity Classic or that. Let's talk a little bit about the collaboration, the crosstalk, when you get with other growers. Uh, they are equally as focused on precision, not wasting anything, and continuing to take care of the land for the next generation. Yeah, I think what you know, some of the best education probably happens outside the meeting room as well inside, um, especially when you start talking to fellow growers. Whether they're you know you, you might be at a state checkoff meeting or like you said, corn soy expo, talking to people that you might farm next to, might be in a different part of the state. You know, what are you doing? You know, whether it be different you know farming tillage practices, fertilizer practices, so on and so forth. And even, you know, once you get out, I mean, I, I've talked to people that farm in the Carolinas or farm down the, you know, Delta in the southern U.S. And sure, our environments might not be the same, but, you know, what what do you do to, you know, for application practices or whether maybe it's strip tilling the soybeans. I mean, we strip till a lot of corn. We don't strip till a lot of our soybeans. Well, is that something I really should be taking a look at? Mm -hmm. You know, does it pay to ban that fertilizer versus broadcast, so on and so forth? Um, so it's just that knowledge gain and obviously what's worked this year might not work next year and what we did and our granddads did, you know, 20 to 40 years ago. Well, we might need to kind of go back into that and take a, take another look at it because we do have a different technology now than we did, you know, back then. Or a different pest or a different disease yeah. or something that's changed. Yeah, you bet. Jonathan Gibbs in studio with us again. He is a Wisconsin soybean grower from Fox Lake, Wisconsin, who also currently serves secretary treasurer on the Wisconsin Soybean Marketing Board. Do want to remind you that if you'd like to follow up and see some of the research in action or tap into some of the information that's being shared, a couple places that you can do, go uh, one of that is badgerbean.com. That's the Wisconsin Soybean uh, website that will help you get connected. And also, Dr. Sean Conley's got great information always available at coolbean.info. Jonathan, we're kind of wrapping up this inaugural edition of uh, this conversation about your Wisconsin Soybean checkoff and how it's invested. Last question for you. Before you got involved versus today, People, growers have perceptions on what the checkoff is all about. What do you try to stress to growers that haven't had the experiences that you do about their checkoff dollars and the value it brings back to the farm? One of the first misconceptions I had before I got on the checkoff was um, the checkoff is different than what we would call a grower organization, which would be the Wisconsin Soybean Association. Uh, the main focus of the checkoff is going to be research, it's going to be promotion, it's going to be new uses. Uh, we can't use checkoff funds and resources to go lobby for different policy and so on and so forth. So we kind of move our focus, or our, I mean our laser focus on the checkoff, is that research, you know, we spend probably a little more than 20% of our budget just on classic research, um, whether it be in state or, you know, the collaborative research outside of state. Um, but... Then I look at, you know, what we do do with the checkoff. And, I mean, 
I don't think, you know, there's, there's, I mean, as a farmer, I've got my own research and development budget, whether, I mean, I might try a new product or I might try a new, you know, something new on my farm or different than what I've done in previous years. And that's very good and it's very valuable resource, research to do. But the checkoff, it gives a collaborative effort. We can leverage funds, whether it's just in-state or with other states or USB and so on and so forth, to do projects that we just can't afford or we just don't have the wherewithal to do as an individual on our farm. And that's one of the main benefits I've seen um, through the checkoff. Will you stay involved? I mean, the term term limits might keep Jonathan Gibbs from necessarily being on uh, certain boards for a real for the rest of your career. But how do you encourage young producers, older producers, to get engaged with the soybean checkoff? I mean, they're benefiting from the research, but we still need bodies in those chairs when it comes to board responsibilities. Sure. I mean, I, I think change is always good. And if someday I find myself off the checkoff board and there's somebody else that's there, I, mean, I think that's a great thing. Um, you don't have to just be on the board to be involved. Obviously, being in contact with your board member or the checkoff in general, um, finding committees to be on, groups to be on, um, are all very ways to be active. I mean, we're, we're if you're a soybean farmer, you're paying into the checkoff, you have a vested interest to see where your dollar is going, how your dollar is being spent, um, and so on and so forth. And I, I think that's very valuable. And you can always bring ideas to the table of, you know, if there's something we're not doing that you would see as, you know, would bring value back to the soybean farmer. I mean, we're always looking for that, too. Right. Jonathan Gibbs in studio with us. I appreciate you taking the time coming from the farm all the way to the studio to kick off this inaugural uh, message from the Wisconsin Soybean Marketing Board. Uh, good luck with spring planting and all the rest of the growing season. Well, thank you very much. Jonathan Gibbs, again, Secretary Treasurer of the Wisconsin Soybean Marketing Board, as we kick off this effort to help not only consumers, our end users, but also growers themselves better understand how your Wisconsin soybean checkoff dollars are being invested. As Jonathan said, not just here in the state of Wisconsin, but well beyond our borders, bringing you benefits back to the farm in the way of sustainable practices, a sustainable story that you can share with those end users and world markets that are looking for Wisconsin-grown beans. Again, if you're looking for more information, want to get connected, we'd love to have you join us. Badgerbean.com is one site. Coolbean.info, another. For the Wisconsin Soybean Marketing Board, along with Jonathan Gibbs, I'm Pam Yonke.